to celebrate someday after COVID's over and everyone's going to go back to normal. It's much deeper than that because biblically, the reality of the resurrection is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Bible, in the book of John, chapter 11, the Bible says, Jesus said unto her, now he's speaking to Martha. Martha is um, Lazarus' sister, and I'll get into that just in a moment. But he says, uh, I am the resurrection. Uh, He's not just about the resurrection. He's the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, he uh, yet shall he live. Man, what a hope that is. Though he were dead, yet he shall live. Now, the context of this is Jesus is, is standing there. Lazarus, her brother, has died uh, several days ago. And, uh, and so Martha is in a time of anguish. Today there are people all over um, the United States and the world in anguish. They've lost loved ones unexpectedly, some to COVID, some to other things, some to other things that they've lost, maybe not loved ones, maybe they've lost something else, a relationship or something that's meaningful to them. They're in anguish this morning. Well, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and I am the life. And and so Martha is in anguish. Her brother is dead and, and uh, she's really wondering, where was Jesus in my hour of need? Where was Jesus when I needed him? Sometimes Things come in our life, and we do want to know, man, uh, Jesus, I could really use you right now. And, of course, Jesus delayed his coming, and if you were to go back and read the entire account, he was intentional about that. He was not just teaching Martha a lesson, and he wasn't just teaching his disciples a lesson. He was also teaching everyone a lesson. He was allowing people to understand that all power in regard to resurrection is his, and he is the definition. He is going to be obviously the fulfillment of what that is. So after praying publicly, he starts, um, <clears throat> he starts in and he, and he calls Lazarus out. And he says, come forth, out, come for, Lazarus, come forth. That's exactly what he said. Is Lazarus, come forth. And so now he's specific because I'm afraid if he wouldn't have said Lazarus, probably everyone in the earth would have came forth. So he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the grave and he's still bound with clothes and and that was a resurrection, but it wasn't, it's not the resurrection, it's a resurrection. Jesus was demonstrating his power uh, to resurrect, his power over life and death. But he had not yet gone to the cross, he had not yet died, he had not yet himself risen from the dead. But there was some, some freedom, freedom from the tomb, but yet Lazarus was bound. It's almost indicative, it's almost a picture of where things were at, because until Jesus rises from the dead, we're all bound. We're all bound by death. Right now, every human that lives is going to die at some point uh, unless the catching away of the church comes. And we're bound by that unless we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Then we will resurrect unto life. If you don't know Jesus Christ, there'll be another resurrection, but it will not be to life. Revelation chapter 20 speaks of that resurrection, and it's going to be unto death. I, I pray nobody that's listening would would ever uh, fall into that category. But you know what? I did once. It was until I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, I was destined for that resurrection of death. So the resurrection also brings us to a point of decision. We have to decide whether this is all real, right? If there's a reality in the resurrection, is Jesus Christ who he said he was? In John 11 and verse 47, the Bible says, Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council. If you've been studying with us here at HBF the last several weeks and maybe months. We've been talking about this word counsel. I just can't help but mention every time we find it, it's it's what? I can't hear anybody out there, but it's against Christ. So it's against Christ every time you see. So there's the Pharisees and they gather together with the chief priests. And you would think that hearing that Jesus had resurrected somebody, 
might convince them that, hey, maybe this dude's the Messiah, because that's, that's uh, only the power of God that can do that. But what do they do? Well, that's what they're asking. What do we? What are we going to do with the resurrection? This morning, that could be what you're asking. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with the resurrection? You know, for some people, it brings freedom from fear or anguish and hurt, like in Martha's case, in Lazarus's case. The resurrection power of Christ brought freedom from the grave for Lazarus. For Martha and for Mary and for all the friends of Lazarus, man, it brought joy to their heart. It was exciting. But can you believe there were people that were upset over the resurrection because of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ? The power of the resurrection was, well, it was threatening to their religion. Imagine all the people that are going to get upset over the resurrection. It's religious people. And beloved, I can tell you today, even today, there are people that are get upset over the resurrection, and it is typically religious people. Now, it could be the religion of humanism or rationalism, or it could be some other religion. But today, when many of us around the world are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, there are still some that would like to form a council to stop it. They think it's, it's something that will threaten their power. Because Jesus was very clear. He claimed to be the king, right? We know when he died, uh, even Pilate, the, the Roman ruler, said, Hey, uh, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus is like, Yeah, you said it. And so that was established. It was understood. I mean, Jesus is, I mean, uh, he was very meek and humble. But at the end of the day, when you look at who Jesus Christ is, he is beyond large and he is way in charge. I mean, he is, he is he's omnipotent, all-powerful God. And yet he made himself so humble that they could even have the thought in their mind that somehow they could kill him. So it says, if, if we let this alone, if we let this guy go, all men are going to believe on him. He's going to mess up our religion, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. They saw Jesus as a, a threat to national security. Of course, Jesus was no threat to national security. He was there to actually give them the promises that God had promised all the way from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and in verse 49 of that text, it says, And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all. You guys don't know nothing. Nor consider that it's expedient for us that one should die for the people and that, one, uh, or that the whole nation should perish. He's like, you know what? I got a, I got a solution for the problem. Let's just, let's just do this. Let's, let's take Jesus. This guy's a troublemaker. And let's just kill him. And that way we can contain the contagion. Right? We can stop the virus. We can quarantine the problem. And we can keep it from spreading all over the place. I think we're all familiar with those terms right now. And, and this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. Even though Caiaphas' heart was in the wrong place, God used that because that was, a real, that was really God's plan. And so what we have here is a plan to kill Jesus. And it says in verse 52, And not for the nation only, but also that he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth they took counsel together to put him to death. So their planning parties became, how are we going to get this guy Jesus put to death? Not really understanding that, you know what, once this happens, the contagion is not going to be contained, but Jesus is going to resurrect and it is going to go global as it is today. Caiaphas saw Jesus and his miraculous power as, a, as this virus of sorts that needed to be contained lest the influence of Jesus would corrupt the entire nation and bring upon them the wrath of Rome. What Caiaphas didn't know was that Jesus was about to go viral because 
not because he would resurrect, but because he is the resurrection and the life, as he said it to Mary, or to Martha, I'm sorry. Sin is the virus. Sin is the virus. It's actually a worldwide problem. And it has been since the time of Adam in the garden. We're all touched by it. That is why we die. The curse of sin is, well, the Bible says it's death. But it is Jesus Christ who conquered sin and death. The reason we celebrate the resurrection is we have found the cure. Right now, someone could come up with a cure, a vaccine for COVID, man. People would be going, yes, yes. Well, maybe some people wouldn't because maybe they're making money off of it. But nonetheless, most of us would go, yes, yes. Why? Because it's the cure to the virus. And Jesus has cured the virus of sin and death. So the power of the resurrection, it's a peace to to some that are frightened. And it's also frightening to others that have no peace. And I pray this morning you find great peace in the power of the resurrection. Our text is going to be in John chapter 20 in the New Testament. You thought it was going to be in John chapter 11. No, that's just my warm-up. John chapter 20 is where we're going to be this morning. John chapter 20, we're going to be looking at Jesus Christ at the resurrection. After the resurrection, he's in the first Sunday evening service. It's the Sunday night of his, after the resurrection, that first Sunday. A lot had happened that, way, that day. I'm sure they were worn out. When I go back and look at the chronology and I see how much activity was going on that day, especially with Mary Magdalene and the disciples were up early. Everybody was up very early before the, the breaking of the dawn, checking on the tomb, trying to figure out what was going on. These guys had to be extremely tired by the time we get to this text. But yet at the same time, they're exuberated. They're excited because reports are coming in everywhere. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. No, no, I saw him on the road to Emmaus. Jesus is alive. Well, I saw him. He stopped us after we left the tomb. Jesus is alive. He appears to Peter personally and says, Peter, come on, man. And Peter's like, yep, he's alive. So Jesus is alive. So you would think, man, everybody would be cool. But you know what? We find in John chapter 20 that they're still gathering in fear. In John chapter 20 and verse 19, the Bible says, if you're reading along, I'm starting in verse 19 of John chapter 20. The same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are Retained, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to celebrate the resurrection. We thank you for um, this uh, this remembrance. So we we often we remember the Lord's Supper as often as we do it, and we celebrate new life in Christ through faith. When people come and are baptized, it's a it's a it's a reminder that they have been spiritually uh, baptized into Christ. They're alive through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And so we have these two ordinances. And, and then annually, we have one of the greatest times the church has every year when we stop the, everything and we focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning you bless the reading, the hearing of your word. As we consider what are we doing with Jesus this resurrection Sunday, I pray, God, that you would just encourage our hearts in the word of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so there's three things I'm going to give you, Lord willing, time permitting. 
uh, regarding the resurrection this morning. Uh, in our text, we, we've seen here that they're gathered together. And the first thing that they do is that they hear Jesus. They hear Jesus. They hear the Word. Now, in John chapter 1 and verse 1, Jesus Christ is called the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. His name is the Word of God. Revelation chapter 19, He returns, and His name is called the Word of God. It's a proper pronoun. It is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They hear the Word, the resurrected Word, the, the God-man. Now, we see Jesus is resurrected, and more than, than uh, that, he is, resur- he is the resurrection, as I've already mentioned. So, nonetheless, the disciples are gathered in the upper room in fear. In fear... It says in the text in verse 19, in fear of the Jews. They were in fear of the Jews. And let's be fair to the disciples and understand that they had yet to receive the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 2 is, is still 50 days away, and they, haven't, they didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit like a, a, a New Testament born-again child of God has at that time. Uh, and so Jesus Christ had not given them that, that, that uh, gift until uh, Acts chapter 2. Uh, but you know what? He does then illuminate them, and then he does quicken them and breathes upon them and gives them the Spirit in this text that we saw so they could comprehend what was going on. But we see them here in fear in the upper room, and, and they were trying really to process supernatural events through a natural lens. So they're trying to see something that's supernatural through a, nat- an, a, uh, through a natural lens, and frankly... It was frightening. Man, I tell you, when you start to delve into the supernatural and you're just looking at it through the natural eyes, it's, it's absolutely frightening. And, uh, and so they were scared of what was all going on. When Jesus, when Jesus appears in their midst, he says unto them, he knows where they're at. He says, peace be unto you. Because the resurrection, we can have peace with God. You know, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible tells us that it is through Jesus Christ that we have peace. Now, they're in fear of the Jews, but Jesus needs to bring them some peace. And all he has to do is he, say, he says, peace be unto you, but he has to repeat himself. Uh, you know, we all need peace. You know, Caiaphas's plan was, was allowed to go forward because it was... Uh, the way that, that God could bring peace to all who would receive the gospel by faith. Who would have thought that a plan to kill Messiah would actually become God's plan for saving the world? I mean, only God can do that. You cannot outsmart God. You cannot outfox uh, out out the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection should bring, bring us to peace with God. Maybe this morning you're like, there's no way I can have peace. Well, guess what? There is a way you can have peace. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, no, that's not possible. Actually, it is possible. So you and I are going to argue about this for a while. It's very possible because that's what Jesus says. What Jesus says is the way it goes. So we all need God's help to understand God's word. That's the reality. Because we like to look at things through a natural lens. That's just how we roll. That's how we operate. We, like we kind of like our flesh and we just kind of like our own wisdom. And we kind of like what, the way we think things should ought, ought to be. And when it comes to this supernatural stuff, like the resurrection, it's like, wait a minute, this does not compute. Only the creator of the universe could do this. By the way, science is now learning that, yeah, somebody did program the universe. Yeah, it's God. He spoke it into existence. He quickened it. And so we, we all need God's help to understand God's word. So I'm going to read a couple of verses to you. 
And I think we got our, our references back up, so we're good to go. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, the Bible says in verse 2, And Moses called unto all Israel and said unto them, Ye have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt unto Pharaoh and unto all his servants and unto all his uh, land, the great temptations which thine eyes have seen, the signs and those great miracles. Yet the Lord hath not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear unto this day. You notice there those first three verses talks about literally physically what they were actually taking in in their eye sockets, in their senses, right, the five senses. They, they were able to experience these incredible miracles. I mean, they, they saw God do a lot of things. But God told them in the second giving of the law, right, after they did not go into the promised land as they were supposed to, and after they had kind of failed several times, he's like, listen, guys, the problem here is not literally what you're seeing physically in your natural man. You need a spiritual heart. You need a heart. That's what we call the heart. When you watch, uh, you know, some Christian MMA, right? And, and some guys are, are getting after it in an octagon somewhere. The reality is this, is that you know when there's two uh, just world-class athletes and they are going at it hardcore. There's a point in time which when, when, the, when the athletes are equal, they're both super skilled, that it boils down to more than just, just their information in their head, more than just the physical attributes which they have, which are blessed. It boils down to something that's kind of intangible. We call it, well, you know what we call it. <laughs> Everyone uses that, even in the world. We call it the heart, right? There's just something about a man on the inside or a woman on the inside that it's intangible. It's that area where God has to work to quicken our hearts so that we can understand the good news of why the resurrection is so important. And I pray this morning as you're listening to me, you're not like just sitting in the living room going, oh, man, I can't wait till this gets over. Uh, you, you sh- hey, you don't have anywhere else to go today, man. You're stuck. So, so just enjoy the journey, man. Hang with me here and understand that God wants to work in your heart and my heart. Not just your heart, my heart as well. It's a spiritual heart. In Ezekiel chapter 12, in verse 1, the Bible says, The word of the Lord also came unto me, saying, Son of man, man thou deliverest in the midst of a rebellious house, which have eyes to see and see not. They have ears to hear. And hear not, for they are a rebellious house. That could be said and was said, of course, of the nation of Israel. They were a house that was rebellious. The leadership, the spiritual leadership, was rebellious. And so the gospel isn't good news unless we have a heart to hear and see it. So maybe the things going on in this world have caused you to be more sensitive to the words of God that are are falling upon your heart. Uh, even Christians who are excited about the resurrection cannot help but be concerned about the current events. There was a time when the rapture looked like it was going to come in a time of prosperity. Now it looks like it might come in a time of persecution. Who knows what's next? We don't know. We don't know what tomorrow shall bring. You know what? That's why we trust the Lord each day. Am I online still? Okay. So today, more than ever, we must realize the power of the resurrection. May God grant to us ears to hear and His word, uh, and, and, uh, and so we can hear His word, word uh, so we can hear His word. But more importantly, if you're born again, you want to hear His words, right? You want to be able to understand and discern what He's saying, but you also want to hear the trump. You want to hear that trumpet blow because it's coming any time now. You know, eight times in the Gospels, Jesus said, "Whosoever." Or he also said he, and he also said any man. So whosoever he or any man that hath ears to hear, let him hear. In his public ministry, Jesus said that over 
and over again, eight times. He says, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. Now, he wasn't just saying, well, if you've got a couple of ears on your head, uh, listen, you know, listen to this. He's really saying, you need a heart. You need a spiritual, you need a, a heart to listen to what I'm bringing down, what I'm downloading you. I want you to receive this. You know, from the time of Jesus' birth, it was clearly pro- proclaimed that Jesus was to be the Savior. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, it says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That was not a secret. I mean, it was, it was stated when Jesus was born in his incarnation. Jesus' name identifies him as Savior. He is the Savior of Israel. So he had 33 years uh, before his, his uh, crucifixion. He had three years and a half to proclaim that. It was no secret that Jesus Christ was coming to be the Savior. He came to seek and save that which was lost. When he began his public ministry around 30 years old, John the Baptist announced Jesus, and twice he says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He says that in John chapter 1 and verse 29. In John chapter 1 and verse 36. And so if you're following me right now, we ha- I had a lot of these references up on the screen. But you're not going to be able to see those right now. But uh, there's all kinds of references. I count at least um, uh, eight references in the Gospels. Three in Mark or Matthew, three in Mark and, and two in Luke. Where Jesus repeats over and over with his disciples. As he's hanging out with his disciples. He's telling them, I am going to die. I am going to be buried. I am going to resurrect. He tells them over and over and over. Now, obviously, the, the four Gospels are the same account from four different perspectives. Uh, but three of those four Gospels explicitly deal with Jesus on multiple occasions laying out for his disciples. You know what? I am going to, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And, and right off the bat, the very first thing they understood about Jesus was not that he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Not all of those things. He was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Yet, after the Passover dinner, and after they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter's all twisted up because they're taking Jesus off to crucify him. Everybody else but John leaves. I mean, Judas has betrayed him. It all seems like everything is going haywire, yet the whole time Jesus has been telling his disciples for three and a half years, guys, I'm the lamb. I'm the shepherd. I'm the door. I'm a lot of things, but I'm the lamb. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. This is what's going to happen, and I'm going to rise again. And yet, even though he had told them over and over, they really didn't get it. You know, we hear things like, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. But I think a lot of us will be caught off guard one day when the trumpet blows. We're going to go like, whoa, I can't believe it. Well, why don't we believe it? We should be expecting that. We should be living our life in light of that. But you know what? We're not much different than the, the apostles, are we, and the disciples? We need help hearing. We need help to really understand and know what God is saying. And I believe in our text in John 20, before we get down to verse 19, there's a key uh, in this text in John chapter 20, verse 9, because it says, For as ye have, <clears throat> for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Now, the context of that is, is really Peter and John. They rushed early in the morning uh, after Mary Magdalene. She was the first to, to get to the tomb. Easter morning, before the sun was up, she was there, the tomb's open, and, uh, and of course, she, she's herself going, what had happened? They stole the body of Jesus. 
And, of course, she is, she's informed what happened. She goes and tells Peter, and, uh, and Peter and John run out to the tomb. And uh, Peter, it says that, that uh, John believes, and, and Peter, they all, either way, he just goes back home. Eventually, Jesus appears to him. Mary Magdalene makes three trips before the day's out. She was a very busy young woman. And so, uh, and so this, is, this is an incredible situation. And it says in the text in John chapter 20 and verse 9, that for as yet they knew not the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. I find that that's the Holy Spirit of God putting that in the Bible for us because they had heard the information. They had heard uh, someone preach about it. That someone was Jesus Christ himself. But it really wasn't locked down in their heart until they knew the Scripture. Until they knew the Scripture. They didn't know about the resurrection because they didn't know about the Scripture. Well, what Scripture? I'm glad you asked. Psalms chapter 16 and verse 10 the Bible actually gives us the scripture. It says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now, hell was brought to Jesus on the cross in his suffering, but when he died and he gave up the ghost, he said, It is finished. So death and hell were conquered, but he went to the center of the earth victorious. The compartment of hell is divided, and half of it is it was called Abraham's bosom, or there's a compartment called Abraham's bosom, and the other, there was a great gulf fix, and then that was the hell that we often think of, the burning and, and, uh, and torturous prison. It's just a temporary holding cell until Revelation 20 and the great white throne judgment when death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. And so Jesus is victorious, and he's in Abraham's bosom, and he's actually fulfilling the scriptures. He's leading captivity captive. Ephesians talks about that as well, leading captivity captive and giving gifts unto men. So Jesus is, is preaching victoriously for three days in the center of the earth. It's an incredible thing before he resurrects. And when they got, uh, by the time uh, the, the apostles understood what was going on, when they got this, uh, they got the resurrection. They finally understood. In John chapter 2, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple. Also, John records this. So there's another reference. There's ninth. Reference Jesus talking again about his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years have, uh, was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. Then therefore, he was, uh, when he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed they believed, they believed the scripture. When? When did they believe the scripture? The Bible tells us in John after he rose from the dead. You know, it's really oftentimes until you will hear the word. I don't just mean let it fall across your ears, but you'll really like listen and ask the Holy Ghost to teach you what he is saying. That man, God will speak and you will actually understand what God is doing. They didn't understand all those sermons that he had personally given them about the resurrection until after he literally resurrected and they understood the the scripture. Now, that, I'm not making that up. That's what the Bible itself says. And so the resurrection is revealed to those. They had tender hearts and they had a spiritual understanding and they re- received the scripture. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 6, it says, He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come and see the place where the Lord lay. In Matthew 28, verse 6, this is speaking of Mary Magdalene as she came to the, to the tomb that morning. Later on, she came with. The other Mary, they approached the sepulcher just before dawn, and the angels whose clothing was, was bright white, and the countenance, the countenance was bright like lightning, sat upon the, the stone that had been rolled away. 
and proclaim to these women uh, and all the disciples that would be hearing uh, that Jesus Christ is alive, right? He's not here. He's alive. Literally, uh, he is risen. And so it was a wonderful message to receive, and what a wonderful message to share. And that's what we're going to do today, I hope, and every day. And so there is no gospel, right, if there's no good news, because gospel means good news, without a resurrection. There's nothing good if there's no resurrection. If Jesus just lived and had a moral life, and even a miraculous life, even if he did mighty signs and wonders and was a very good man, if he didn't rise again from the dead, then it was in vain. And we're, of all men, most miserable. And I'm not just saying that. The Bible actually says that. The Apostle Paul, a man who gave his life uh, preaching the gospel, in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 14 said, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain. You see, God doesn't just need a bunch of like Tony Robbins dudes running around making you feel good, though it is good to feel good. What we really need is a resurrection. We need to be changed and transformed. And Paul says, listen... If we don't have a resurrection, our preaching is in vain, and our faith is also vain. That means empty. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. You see, it's, it's, it's linked together. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is if Jesus Christ rises, then the dead rise. If he doesn't, then we're in trouble. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you're yet in your sins. You cannot disconnect the resurrection from Jesus Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. So Paul made it clear that every aspect of the gospel was a fulfillment of Scripture. And one of the simplest definitions of the gospel you can find is in 1 Corinthians 15. 3 through 4, it says, for, Paul says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. Right? That's what he, he came to die. He was our Lamb. And that He was buried. And that He rose again the third day. And again, Paul's very clear. He says, according to the Scriptures. The Scriptures. We need to make sure we hear the Word. We all need God's help to understand God's word. We need to understand it. That's why God gives us the spirit of God and he gives us the local New Testament church. And that's why he gives us, most importantly, he has preserved, especially those of us in English language, man, we have a perfectly preserved word. He has given us that so we might hear his word. We might hear him. The power of the resurrection can only be revealed by the power of the word of God and by the word of God. Now, I want to switch our attention. If you have a Bible in front of you, look over at Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I want to look at the parallel passage of this same account. So we're looking at the same story. But as I've already mentioned, the four Gospels give us four different views of Jesus Christ. Matthew, he's the king. Mark, he's a servant. Luke, he's the son of man. And in, in, uh, in John, he is deity. He is God. He's the God-man, the son of God. And so you get a different aspect and so it's not a surprise. As we look at Luke chapter 24, look down at verse 44. It says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you. While I was yet with you, all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. 
And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead uh, the third day. And so what we have here is in verse 44, we have really what God is talking about. He spoke to them. We call that inspiration when God speaks. It's inspired. It's inspirited. And he spoke to them. His words were, were inspired. But not only that, he correlates that with his preserved word. His words were not just spoken. They were preserved. And so God's word, God has not just spoken his word, but praise God, he has preserved it so that we can understand it. We have a preserved word of God. That's how we get understanding it, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, obviously, and the teaching that God gives us through the local New Testament church. God equips us and helps us understand what he's saying. So hearing the scripture is the way that God reveals the reality of the resurrection. We've already established that. That's actually how John and Peter came to an understanding by reading Psalms and putting together what Jesus had already done and what he, who he is, the resurrection. Then it was like, ding, and all the lights came on. Maybe you're listening to this sermon this morning and, and the Spirit of God is just, is just calling you, calling you to consider the power of the resurrection, calling you to consider trading in your fear and your anxiety and your disappointment and yourself. And just getting rid of, of, of what it is that, that is not right with God and exchanging it for what is right with God, which is Jesus Christ. That's why we talk about salvation. It's just simply calling upon the name of the Lord to be saved. But it's not just a thing that you mentally understand. It's not just a, a cognitive consent. There has to be some heart in this thing. There has to be some comprehension and some, and some sort of change of heart and mind that produces the quickening and the change of life that occurs when we place our faith in Christ understanding that he's already died on the cross for our sins and rose again the third day 2,000 years ago, and that his death and his burial and his resurrection are actually powerful enough to quicken your soul, not only today, but to resurrect you from the dead and usher you into eternal life. I know for me, uh, it, took, it took God a little bit of, of uh, convincing, so to speak. He worked on me, convicted my heart. But boy, I tell you, don't resist the Holy Ghost because you don't know how many times... God's going to give you opportunity to understand what he's really talking about in regard to salvation. The account of Luke chapter 24 verses 36 through 48 parallels our text in John chapter 20, 19 through 23. They don't contradict. But I want to just mention this, this subject of, of the scripture because I just can't get, get away from it. There's, a, there's another story in Luke 16. And we find Jesus sharing this account of a rich Jewish man who died and went to hell. And prior to the resurrection, the Old Testament saints, as I described earlier, were held in a place in the center of the earth called Abraham's bosom. Uh, it's also called paradise. Uh, there, was a, there was a great gulf, the Bible says in Luke 16, fixed between this place of paradise, Abraham's bosom, and, and then this place of torment where the rich man had gone. And this rich man had a beggar that laid at his door every day. His name was Lazarus, and he was just begging for bread. He also died, and of course, uh, he ends up in Abraham's bosom. The rich man, like every lost man who dies, suddenly becomes an evangelist. Once he gets to hell and he's in torment, he lifts up his eyes. And in addition to being in torments and desiring water, he would also he really starts to, to beseech. He starts to beg and, and ask for Abraham to send somebody back. Send someone back to my family. And of course, Abraham shares with him that that's, that's not going to happen. They've got Moses and the prophets. Of course, Jesus hasn't risen from the dead yet. What Abraham is saying is they've got the Bible. They have the scripture. 
And he's like, well, send Lazarus back. Just, you know, let's, let's have, if he could resurrect, <laughs> then, then <laughs> surely they would believe, they would hear. It's really instructional what is said to him. In Luke 16, 27, the Bible says, then, then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. And this is Lazarus. He's not saying send me. He's saying send Lazarus. He's a just man. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto them, You know, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. You know, they've got a Bible. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if, if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. You know what that passage is saying is that even though the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a reality today, it's a historical reality, it is an absolute truth as far as I'm concerned, but what's really important, that is what the Bible says. And there'll be many, unfortunately, who may miss the opportunity to have, a, to have eternity. Why? Because when some crazy, wild preacher got up and preached this Bible like it was the absolute truth, they ignored it. And they blew it off. And they really didn't believe that what the Bible teaches is actually not a cunningly devised fable, not some story. But it is actually the record that God has given us. It's the record of His Word. He has given us His Word because He wants us to hear it, not just with our ears, but with our heart. Because God is not willing that any perish, but come to repentance. He's not willing that any should perish. But you know what? You're the one who decides if you will bow the knee and confess with the mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus shares this story because this has been the testimony of his people Israel. Both before his coming and for 1,990 years after. You know, Jesus has resurrected. And to this day, most most Jews, of course, uh, not all, but there's always a remnant, a small amount. But most Jews still to this day, the Bible tells us, are blinded in Romans 11.25. They're blinded. From the reality of the resurrection, even today. They still do not believe what the scripture says about their Messiah, about his birth, about their Old Testament, about his death, his burial, his resurrection. You know, Jesus Christ in the, was in the flesh before and after his resurrection, <clears throat> and he appealed uh, to the scripture to reveal the reality of the resurrection to his disciples, both before he died and after he died and resurrected. Just showing up and saying, I'm here, all of that is pretty convincing. I mean, that's amazing. He directed them back to the scripture. I cannot emphasize how important it is to to receive what the word of God teaches concerning Jesus Christ and the resurrection. In the disciples, this is interesting in our text that I've had you turn to Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 37, I'll have you note this. Again, it's a parallel account, but the physician, Luke, Dr. Luke, has a, has a different perspective on things. And one of the things that he records in verse 37, it says is, I'll start in verse 36. And he says, and, and thus spake Jesus himself, and he stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Exactly what we read in John chapter 20. But notice this in verse 37. 
But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. They were terrified and affrighted. Now, they were terrified. They were scared. They were in fear, at least it says, in John chapter 20, of the Jews. And while they had killed Jesus, they obviously were going to get blamed for stealing the body of of Jesus. Uh, All of that was on. They had a reason to be concerned that they would be framed for what was going on at the tomb. They were in fear of that from the Jews. But it's interesting to see the reaction when Jesus shows up in the midst. It says they were frightened. I mean, they were scared. They were terrified. And that's a strong word. And affrighted. And suppose they had seen a spirit. I mean, the doors are locked. There's nobody coming in or out. And boom, there's Jesus. I mean, that, that is wild. And notice what Jesus says. He says, uh, but it says and, and he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for the Spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. You know what's interesting about this passage and this reality? This is, I believe, an accurate historical account. Is later on, Peter, who was in the room, Peter, who also had seen Jesus appear out of thin air or walk through a wall and all these other things, walk on water, would later write, you know what? We have a sure, a more sure word of prophecy. We have a more sure word of prophecy, even in the physical appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, you can count on this book. And as a matter of fact, that is what we count on for the resurrection. The Jews wanted to kill them. But Jesus was the author of eternal life, yet they were scared. Why is that? And I believe the answer is found in Hebrews 10 and verse 31. And the reality of seeing Jesus there in their midst really brings home this passage from Hebrews 10, 31. It says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I don't know about you, but when I was lost, there were times I did not want to be around godliness. I can remember my dear aunt used to take me to church, and at first I was into it. Then after a while, because of my own sin, I wasn't saved yet, I started just kind of, I just started going outside and just skipping the the preaching. Why? Because I didn't want to hear it. It bothered me. Maybe it scared me a little bit. You know, sometimes when you're in the presence of God, it's, well, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. You want to know that he's saying, peace be unto you. You want to know that he has forgiven you of your sin because he is holy. The resurrection was a way of making us reckon with his holiness. Man, I I tell you what, when I was lost, I could bear the thought of Jesus Christ being the lamb. I I could understand Jesus hanging on a tree. Yep, he was a lamb. He was a sacrifice for my sin. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm a sinner. However, I wasn't, and this is just my testimony. This isn't yours, so if you don't like it, that's okay. You can get your own. But my testimony is I I wasn't moved by his love until I realized the power of his resurrection. Because that didn't just lead me to the fact that he died on the cross. That led me to the reality, the promises that I was reading in Revelation said he's coming back. Oh my goodness, the fear that struck my heart when I see the kings of the earth hiding under the rocks saying, save us from the wrath of this king that's to come. And I'm like, man, I don't have anything to cover up with. And that's when God says, oh, you're ready to hear now? Are you ready to listen to the good news, Brian? 
And just like that, he brought a man into my life to share with me at that moment. Hey, Brian, do you know you're a sinner? Boy, I know I'm a sinner like never before. Do you believe that Jesus died? Yeah, I believe that Jesus died. But this was the catch. Do you believe that he rose again the third day? I didn't really believe that before. But when I said it this time, this was March, this was just over 30 years ago, last month. I realized that Jesus Christ didn't just live and die, but he rose again. And if you get a hold of what that means, he's the resurrection. He is God. And he did that. Yeah, he did that because he has a plan for the nation of Israel. But he also did it because the Bible is very clear. In John chapter 2 even, it's clear. John chapter 3 and verse 16 is very clear. He has a plan for you. Personally. God wants to redeem you. He wants to resurrect you. And you're, if you're like me, you're not Jewish. You're not even religious. You know what? God is still calling you to be saved. Why? Because he doesn't care. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for everyone. All the sin of humanity is placed upon him on the cross. You say, well, Brian, no, there has to be some limit of atonement. I, I totally don't believe that. I, the re, what limits his atonement is our unbelief, and then it becomes our judgment. And we stand before a holy God, and, and we know that a, a sinless lamb died on the cross. Guess what we become? We become a murderer, and we get cast in the lake of fire in Revelation chapter 20. The judgment will fall one way or the other, but it's up to us. It's up to that battle that goes on in the heart of whether we'll believe and receive. So Jesus opens their understanding that they might understand the scriptures in verses 45 and 46. The text says, Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And he showed them from the scripture. He showed them from the scripture. Maybe, maybe you don't need to stop and wait till the end of my message. Maybe right now you need to pick up the phone and dial area code 816-380-3033. On the other line, a very nice gentleman named Jim is going to pick up the phone and say, yes, can I help you? And he can take and show you right now in the Bible how you can know that you have eternal life. Maybe you're like, Brian, that's me. I need to get saved. Don't wait till the end of the message. Get online right now. Type contact at hbfcast.org, contact at hbfcast.org, and, and just say, Brian, I want to know more about what this means to be saved, to have a relationship, to be forgiven, to, to know I will be resurrected unto eternal life and not eternal death. Man, I tell you, if there's anything I can do to help you make that decision, then, man, that's, that's why we exist. That's why Jesus rose from the dead. It is by hearing the word of God that we have faith. It's not just because we, oh, I want to believe, I want to believe. No, no, don't, don't even worry about you. Worry about what God says. You can take your critical mind. You can take your, your, your mindset and say, well, you know, I, I'm a little skeptical. I was a big skeptic. Read the word of God. The word of God will convince you if you just approach it as it is in truth, the very words of God. It will convince you. Romans ten seventeen says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But when it says hearing there, obviously it's good to hear with the ear. But beyond that, that, that hearing that we're talking about that goes down into the soul, right? That gets into that heart of man. That's what we're talking about. <clears throat> and you say, well, Brian, I don't understand it. And you're using this English and these words and you're using these terms. And I do use a lot of, it's amazing. I even understand churchy terms. There was a time in my life I didn't understand the language. Doctrine was a curse word to me. I didn't even know what it meant. But the reality is this. Even that's all doesn't matter because James says this. The Bible gives you the answer for that. He says, if any 
of you lack wisdom? Let him ask of Brian. No, it doesn't say Brian. It says, let him ask of God. They give it to all men, not just some men, all men liberally, and abradeth not. Meaning he's not going to backhand you. He's not going to look narrowly on you if you don't understand something. He's not going to chasten you. He just wants to see a heart of somebody who wants to come and understand the wisdom of God. You know what? The Bible says it shall be given him. It shall be given him. So what will you do with Jesus? Well, I hope you'll hear his word. I hope you'll hear his word. Beyond that, though, I also pray that you'll learn to handle his word. That's why God has given us local New Testament churches and, and an ability. the mission is to go and make disciples. The resurrection becomes a reality when we handle the word of God. Let's examine the evidence. You know, Luke, the doctor, gives us the physician's view, right? Colossians 4.14 calls him a, the, the beloved physician, and he's careful to speak very explicitly of how Jesus encouraged his disciples to examine the resurrected body as evidence. Jesus is like, hey, I need you to come on and handle me. Handle me. That's what he's telling them. Yeah, he's, he's in, in uh, Luke chapter 24. He says, uh, and he said unto them, why are you troubled? And why do your thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands. Look at my hands and my feet. That it is I myself. He's got holes in them. Uh, handle me. Touch me, right? See me. For the spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for the joy and wonderment, he said unto them, have you here any meat? And then he ends up eating some food just to say, guys, I'm a physical man. But yeah, I just showed up and I literally appeared in the room because he's a God man. And so behold my hands and feet. You'll find those holes that are there in his hands and feet. Why? Because he was pierced. We find in John chapter 19 and verse 37, Thomas was doubting. You guys probably, some of you know the story of doubting Thomas. He was a week late. It's kind of a picture of the nation of Israel. He was a, a week late to, to celebrate the resurrection with the saints, to reveal what Jesus Christ had done in their midst, to see the holes in his hands. And, of course, we know Jesus said, stick your fingers in the holes of my hands. Stick your hand in my side. He, he made him do the same thing, examine the evidence. And he came away saying, my Lord, my God. I promise you, if you examine the evidence, I remember one time a, a young man here at this church, he left in, as an atheist. He says, I no longer believe in God. And he wanted to quote a bunch of creation stuff out of Genesis that probably some scientist was feeding him. I said, well, let's put Genesis aside. Let's talk about Daniel for a moment. Let's talk about all the kingdoms of the earth till right now. Let's talk about prophecy that's being fulfilled and yet to be fulfilled. He didn't have anything to say about that. Why? Because one of the reasons is he didn't actually know it. It's very, don't make judgments about the Bible until you've actually taken the time to put your fingers in it, to examine the evidence. I tell you, it's so important. The nation of Israel, sadly, has missed their Messiah. But Zechariah chapter 12 has already written about it. It's an amazing passage. It says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem uh, the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Just as the disciples were looking at the holes and the, and the hole in his side, someday Jesus will return and he will still have those holes. It's an eternal reminder of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. 
that takes away the sin of the world. And they will look upon him whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one in bitterness for his firstborn. You see, Jesus encourages the disciples to handle him. And John tells us in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. And what's amazing about that is Peter says, you know, we've done all that, but you have a more sure word of prophecy. You can count on the evidence, the physical evidence that God has left us. You can imagine why they, they thought Jesus was a spirit. He, he materialized in a closed room. I mean, who wouldn't be freaked out about that? You would think he was a spirit, but it's more, it's, it's more than that. He says that he had flesh and bones. Flesh and bones. He didn't mention the blood. He's already shed his blood. Jesus Christ has now restored what Adam lost. In Genesis 2.23, the Holy Ghost is careful to say that Adam saith, now that uh, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, speaking of Eve, when she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And you might just read over Genesis 2.23 and go, yeah, that's a cool passage about what happened. And yeah, they left out the blood, but there's a reason because Eve's a type of the church and we're the bride of Christ. Do you know that out of his side, when Jesus died, the blood and the water came out. It redeemed us from the curse of the law. And someday God's going to come and collect us up. It's called the resurrection. Spiritually, I'm already as good as dead, buried, and rose again because I've been, Christ is in me and I'm in him. But someday that the adoption is going to work out where my physical body is going to be changed in an instant or I'm going to die and be resurrected, however that goes. But either way, I'm going to be caught up with him and I'm going to join him. And we're going to be flesh and bone. You say, how do you know that? Well, because 1 Corinthians tells me all about it, the whole chapter. I don't have time to read it this morning, but one of the verses says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So what is going to inherit the kingdom of God? It'll be flesh and bone. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Jesus is trying to convince them that he is not a spirit, but a supernatural flesh and bone. And finally, he says, hey, do you got any meat? And Jesus obviously knew they had meat, but he wanted, to, he wanted to grab a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he sits down, and they watch him eat it, and they're like, whoa, this is special, because the last meal he had was at the Passover, unleavened bread and grape juice. Now he eats meat and honey, and right now, beloved, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and we look forward to the day Christ will come, but you know what? There's going to be a day, and it's not going to be too far in the future. We're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we're going to be joined to our Lord and Savior. That's why we celebrate the resurrection. We're not there yet, but we look forward to it. There ain't a wedding without a banquet. And man, there's going to be a banquet to come. I feel bad for some of these brides that have had to, to postpone their weddings or have weddings and they don't, you know, because of social distancing and all of that, they can't celebrate them. But I got news for you. If you're in Christ, there's coming a celebration. It's going to be a great thing. So examining the evidence should bring the reality of the resurrection into our mind. Paul said it's a great mystery in, in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty three, He goes, I, I show you a great mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, where the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Praise God for the resurrection. Everyone in the church that has died during the, 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 the age of grace, will be resurrected. 
Those who are alive and remain at the, at the catching away will be changed in an instant. That's what Paul said. So all who are saved and all who received the resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will receive a new body. And this is the cool thing about the resurrection this morning. Is his, our body is going to be like his body. It's going to be immortal, just like Jesus' body. It'll be able to transition through time and face, space faster than light. Jesus left Mary uh, Magdalene in John 18, travels through the second heaven, outer space, gets to the throne of God, atones and comes back, goes there as our high priest, comes back, and then meets her on the way back as she's heading out to Galilee. It's amazing how fast he traveled. You're going to be able to do the same thing. It's amazing the promises that are in the word of God. We're going to be able to materialize, I believe, as Jesus did. I hope we can. I'm not sure about that. Hopefully we can. Jesus just popped into the room. There he was. Boom. We'll be, we'll, we definitely will be immune to physical harm when it comes to the second coming of Christ. In Joel chapter 2, it speaks of us. It says, they run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. They shall march everyone in his ways, and they shall not break their ranks. Would to God we would not break our ranks now, because this is just a free runner to what's coming. Neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk every one in his path, and when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. You know why? These are supernatural bodies that we're going to have. We'll be able to eat, and we won't gain weight. Man, praise God for that. Our bodies will be able to handle the conditions of the, the second heaven. We won't need to sleep or eat, and, and man, our garments will reveal our obedience. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, you know what? When people resurrect, they're gonna, some will be like the, well, Jesus is the sun. I'm just going to reserve that for him. But some are like the moon and, and pretty bright. Others are they're like stars. They're like stars that twinkle in the night. Some are brighter than others. So we don't have to wait until we get to glory. We don't have to wait to get to glory to handle God's word now. You say, well, where's he at? Where's Jesus at? Well, he's right here. He's in his word. He's in in the spirit. In Titus chapter 1, the apostle Paul told his disciple that he should hold fast the faithful word as he's been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. You know what? If you want to find Jesus, you're going to find him right here in the pages of this book. Hold on to your Bible. Don't let anybody take it from you. He goes on to tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.13, before he goes to die <clears throat> before Nero, he says, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me. Not just the concept of God's word. He says, Hold fast the form of sound words, plural. Make sure, Timothy, that you, you hang on to those. In faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus, the resurrected Lord and Savior. And so, we understand this. We need to hear the word. We need to handle the word. And lastly, go back to our text in John chapter 20. It's also found in Luke, but I'll finish up in where we started. In John chapter 20, in verse 21. He says, or, or verse 20, he says, And when they had said, um, he showed unto them his hands and his side. When they were, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. You see, this issue of peace was really important to Jesus. He mentions it twice, and not because he stutters like I do. Not because he forgets what he's saying like I do. Jesus says, peace be unto you twice. First, they needed to have peace with God, but they also needed to have peace with God so that they could share Jesus' peace with others. 
And this morning, I pray if you're listening to this and you're born again, you're in the amen choir, your hallelujah alley or whatever. I mean, we're all excited about the resurrection. But you know what? The resurrection is also about <clears throat> our need to share it with the world. And we need to have the peace of God in our hearts because the resurrection empowers our mission. We commonly call the, the Great Commission um, found in, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, really kind of like our marching orders. It's familiar to many of us. Jesus spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You can have God's word on it. He is with us always, even until the end of the world. He wants us to go to all nations. Right before this morning, right before I came in to preach, I, I saw Pradeep Lima and his daughter Elizabeth singing a hymn on, on the YouTube on Facebook. It was beautiful. It's amazing how we're all connected right now. It's just a picture of what God can do through the Spirit of God. It's even greater, much, much greater than the Internet. What will we do with Jesus? If we believe that and receive Jesus and the, and the power of the resurrection, which is Jesus, then you know what? He's also given us the power to go, to do something with this resurrection. And so for those of us that say, yes, that's me, I'm saved, I'm enjoying the resurrection, hallelujah, then guess what? I know people want to get out and they want to get out of quarantine, but even if you can't get out of your house, get on the internet, get on the phone, and go with the gospel. Tell people about Jesus while there's time. Because I tell you what, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You know, when we started this morning, we saw disappointment. We saw Martha was disappointed. You know, there's a lot of people that were disappointed. We saw the Sanhedrin. They were, they were fear of losing their power. We saw sorrow. We saw fear. But you know what? When we get to the end of this, we see joy. We see peace. We see good news. Even if you're God's enemy today, you're, the, you, you're only one decision away from having peace with God through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And it all boils down to this one question. What will you do with Jesus? He is resurrected. He is the resurrection. He is the life. Will you hear the word? Will you handle the word? And will you share the word? That's up to you. And that's up to me. Heavenly Father, as we conclude this time, I pray that we would uh, hear your word, Lord, that our hearts would be conditioned to hear it properly, that like the